everybody uh, to another episode of the HR revolution or evolution, whatever way you want to look at it. This is a show is all about the revolution of HR for the evolution of business. And we do that through thought leadership conversations with industry leading uh, professionals such as Pam today. Um, and we could not be more excited to have these discussions and conversations. So the greater HR and anybody interested in the HR community um, finds their passion um, or potentially hears something of interest on where they can have their impact within HR. And we as HR professionals and Bobby and Pam specifically, um, it's all about how are we adding value to the business. And that's what this show is all about is providing value to the HR community. So today I wanted to introduce my host, uh, Bobby Spaziani. Kevin, thank you so much. And it's great to be back in 2022 here. Um, you know, for those that have listened to the podcast, we, we started the year off with, um, you know, some fun HR resolutions from the team here. But um, I can't think of a better guest to, uh, you know, ring in the new year here than, uh, than Pam. So welcome aboard, Pam. Thanks for joining the podcast today. Thank you. So if anybody to give a little backdrop of who Pam is, Pam is a uh, local hero probably to Bobby and I, um, seeing that we're interested in HR and she really helped take a organization to the next level. It's called Shimon Canal Trust. Um, it's a publicly traded organization. It was kind of the one of the crown jewels in our small hometown, Elmira. And anybody that had the opportunity to work at that organization has really uh, stayed um, and solved the opportunities for growth. So we're welcoming on the, the Vice President of Human Resources, Pam Burns. Thank you. Thank you. Happy so to, to be here. So to jump right into it, Pam, um, Bobby and I are always kind of uh, trying to learn really about uh, do HR professionals actually have a life outside of work? Um, sometimes <laughs> it's hard to see that uh, you guys do have a life. Uh, we know how much buried uh, paperwork and things like that. And people don't see you as humans. They're always coming to you with their problems. But um, what's your favorite type of food? And if there was only, if you had to pick one place in that small town of Elmira, what would it be? And don't be afraid to not say Libs. <laughs> I feel like I have to say Libs. I love Libs. <laughs> Can, I'm going to say two. I'm going to say Libs and Pudgies because I also love pizza. Oh, um, Pudgies is all right. Yeah. Now the question is, does, do you only order sheets at Pudgies? Um, I don't. Well, yeah, kind of. Yeah. See that? <laughs> yes. That's what I do too. I have to. Yes. <laughs> yep. Love Pudgies and chicken scampi at Libs. All right. That's what well, I'm talking had, about. If you had Libs and Pudgies for the rest of your life, I think uh, I think all would be great in the world. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but Pam, I, I won't. I want, to, I want to kind of touch on that point as well. I think, um, you know, we oftentimes, you know, get, uh, especially in this remote work environment, you know, kind of, you know, work kind of blends with our personal lives. So I just want to ask, you know, when, when you're not, um, you know, logged in every day, um, you know, grinding away, what do you like to do for fun? Uh, all kinds of things. I like to paint furniture, which sounds a little crazy, uh -huh. but um, paint furniture. And I have three small granddaughters, age one, two, and four. So that is my fun time. It's also my loud time, but it's my fun time. Well, that's got to keep you busy. Uh, to be yes. a new father of my own, I can only imagine how over the moon you must be as a grandmother because uh, my mother-in-law and my mother are constantly at my house visiting mm -hmm. her son too. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. So um, as we kind of switch up some gears uh, and really focus on, on, on HR and leadership and kind of what the future of HR looks like, when I ask you this question, what is the revolution of HR um, for the evolution of business? What does that statement mean to you? 
Pam? Oh, that statement means it's constantly changing and evolving. Um, and it, I don't think that will ever stop. It seems like it's changing and evolving at a faster pace now than it ever was. I'm not sure if that has to do with the pandemic or the political unrest, I guess I'll call it, or division. Um, but it's it's just changing very, very fast. It seems like you really have to stay on top of it. Mm-hmm. And you have to be very educated for the company because they look to you to understand and know what's going on, all things HR. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that, that, that's excellent. It's kind of speaking to that point of being educated for the company, Pam, I know you've spent, you know, the good majority of your career at Shimon Canal. And mm-hmm. um, you know, my understanding is, is you didn't start in HR, right? I think you started in, in an operations type role. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, that transition from that role into HR? How, um, you know, how did that help you as an HR leader kind of understand the business more and speak to, you know, some of the leaders across the organization? Um, because I think that's a unique track that, you know, not everybody mm-hmm. in HR has the opportunity to kind of um, go through. Right. So I really worked uh, in a lot of areas of the company. Part of that was as a management trainee. So I had a lot of experience um, in audit and in the branches and uh, wealth management, operations area, things like that. So I think being operationally strong is very important in understanding the business and not just the HR, but the actual business that we're in. Uh, But also I knew a lot of people from moving around and I worked my way up from a lower level position uh, to where I am today. So I not only understand the work that we do and know the people here, but I understand the different levels in the company and how you um, can go about advancing your career and what you need to do so I can give advice on things like that. So I think it's made me well-rounded to work in HR just based on my movement around the company. Got it. And and I think Bobby and I would echo that sentiment is that um, we've seen when when an HR kind of has a more worldly view of the business, they Mm -hmm. seem to have a better uh, or more in touch or in tune with how they're providing value and where that precisely they can provide value within the organization. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that you're kind of tiptoeing around is understanding the internal politics. You mentioned like understanding like the the, what motivates certain different members of 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 the leadership team, I think, is what you also learned is like, well, this is their priority. Mm -hmm. This is what they focus on. On. How much better has that made you and uh, kind of leading these conversations and, and really developing the relationships so they can come to you with these types of projects? Yeah, so I have a great relationship with our, our executive management team. Um, and part of that is because I've been here so long and I know the people. I've been here 33 years now. Wow. Uh, so I do know the people at all levels. So there's a confidence in me that I understand what's going on at all levels of the company. And I identify with a lot of them because of where I've come from. So I think they have a lot of confidence in me, especially with the people piece of it. Um, And because I know the people that allows me to know what the people want, um, whether it be remote work or different benefits or whatever. So uh, I think they have a confidence in me just based on on really knowing the people. I'm also a good judge of people, I guess I would say. So I understand, you know, what management wants for me as far as communication and work and all that stuff. So uh, it's worked out very well for me with the management team. That's yeah. and, and you have mm-hmm. to have those types of relationships, I think, too. Yes, yes. 
you, you mentioned something in there, Pam, that I kind of want to touch on. I think you mentioned, you know, some things like, you know, remote work and, and employee mm -hmm. benefits and, and something Kevin and I talk about all the time about organizations that succeed are really being nimble in these areas, um, being flexible and, and, you know, providing more of a customizable approach for employees. Um, you know, where have you seen um, good HR organizations or, or good HR leaders, um, how have you seen your organizations become flexible and nimble, um, especially during the pandemic at this time? So it's really about conversations with your leaders in the company. We, our CEO isn't, um, isn't really on board with the whole 100% remote work thing because we need to be here for our clients. Mm -hmm. And in the job market we were in today, a lot of people want that remote work. So we really encourage managers to figure out how you can be flexible, even with employees that work in the branches. Is there a way to be flexible with them? Maybe they need to take their kids to school, want to come in later. Can you do that and have somebody else cover in the morning? Can you be flexible around lunch times, whatever? But flexibility really is going to be key if we're not doing fully remote and we understand that. So um, that has been a big thing for us. That's really, it's awesome because you think about big scale, right? We all heard the news mm -hmm. about uh, JP Morgan Chase in, in, in New York City and you obviously much smaller scale as Shimon Canal, but very similarly, it's, it's the same conversation that that CEO, it, it's, it's very hard. And banking, I think in general, I mean, uh, Otherwise, we would have ATMs and nobody would ever talk to a teller. So they, they, there's right. some automation there, but there's still that, that comfort level with it, my money. I need to see it. At, and you guys mm -hmm. deal with a, a multi-generational um, customer base, very similar to your employee base, I assume, as well. Um, one of the things that you said earlier that I found fascinating, though, is that you always have to constantly be learning and developing yourself. And you being in that role for 33 years you're probably someone that's had to learn a few new tricks. Um, mm -hmm. What were some of the things that you learned throughout the 33 years and something that you, I guess, regularly go back to in your role in HR that you had to learn, I guess, over those years? And how, how are you constantly reinventing yourself within the organization being there so long? So I started, as I said, at a lower level position, really at the bottom level, when I started with zero education behind me other than a high school diploma. Um, we have, we had at the time a tuition reimbursement program that reimbursed 100% of tuition. So I was very fortunate in that I got my bachelor's degree from Elmira College 100% paid by the company. Um, and then I went on and got my master's degree at Villanova University in Human Resources. And the tuition reimbursement program changed, but they paid 95% of my tuition for my master's degree. And I also went and got certified um, through SHRM and the bank pays 100% of that certification. So um, they've definitely supported me in all of that. Uh, but I also understand that I need to keep on top of things. So I read constantly. Um, lately, it's been all CDC, I feel like, because it's all COVID, but um, constantly reading and getting, I get a lot of information from attorney's offices to stamp on employment law and things like that. So um, two things that I've learned, number one is continually improve your own skills and yourself by learning. And number two is um, don't be afraid to ask for what you want. So 
I talk to a lot of people in the company and, you know, sometimes the company doesn't know what you want or what you're interested in. And it doesn't hurt to ask. You might be told no occasionally, but the only way people will know what you want is if you put it out there. So don't be afraid to ask for something. So uh, those are a couple of things that I learned as I came up through the company. That's really, that's really helpful information. It's, it's, it's kind of going back to what Bobby said is like some of our new year's resolutions. These were, these were kind of uh, in line with exactly that. And I think one of the things that I, I would love to understand, right, is understanding communication and the importance of communication. And, and the fact that, like you said, I know what employees want uh, because I had the opportunity mm-hmm. to work in those roles. Um, it's not uncommon though, in senior leadership that they've always pretty much worked in senior leadership in some cases, and they really mm-hmm. lose touch with the frontline employees. How do you keep that line of communication open? And, and, and maybe you're better at it because you've been on that side. How, mm-hmm. how did that help you kind of open that line of communication? And how do you keep frontline employees, what their wants and desires, um, that openness with the CEO and, and the executive team? So I treat everyone the same. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO or the teller, you're, you're the same to me. There's no org chart in my head that I have to think about. You're the same person to me. Um, you all have different wants and different needs, but it doesn't mean they're less important than somebody else. Uh, so I am able to communicate that way. I'm always um, available. You said HR basically works all the time. I am available 24 seven seven days a week, whether it be on my cell phone or my work email or whatever. Um, that's just the choice that I make to be available, especially during COVID. There's so much mental health um, issues going on and all that and people testing positive and they don't know what to do. So I think the fact that I'm always available and people know that they can communicate me with me whenever they want about whatever they want. Um, and I'm also like to be a voice for them when it comes to the management level. So they might be having a conversation and not really be in tune with the employees. And I'm the person that will speak on their behalf and say, okay, think about it from this perspective. Um, this is what they're thinking. So um, it's just worked out really well for me working my way up and keeping the communication open. And I'm, I'm, I always start communications in the elevators and when I'm out in the halls, how are your kids doing, things like that. So um, I like people that probably helps. So (laughs) (laughs) that's great. And I think, you know, you learn so much from those, you know, short 30 minute uh, elevator, you know, the the elevator conversation, right, about employee needs and wants. And I'm sure that kind of helps to to shape benefit packages and things of that nature. I want to kind of dive into that because I think, you know, one of the things that I've been reading a lot about, um, especially more recently, is um, you know this this idea of financial education in the workplace, um, and that kind of becoming you know an available benefit for employees. So I just wanted to get your thoughts. You know wh- whether I want to speak about Shimon Canal specifically or just holistically. You know how important do you think um, financial education is for employees? Uh, because I think at at one point in time you know, we really looked at talking about finances and money at work as kind of taboo, you know, you kind of leave that at home and you deal with that on your personal time. But we're seeing more and more, you know, offerings out there um, and employees wanting that financial education Mm -hmm. and those resources available to them. What are you seeing in the the marketplace today? Yeah, I think financial education is huge, uh, whether it be with our employees or out in the communities we serve. So we've been having a lot of those conversations as well. Um, but it's huge. It's 
it's funny because I think people have an assumption that if you work at the bank, you understand how to balance your checkbook and not overdraw your account. Uh, that is not the case. Um, so I think it's extremely important to educate people financially, whether it be their checkbook or their health insurance benefits, uh, anything like that. So just, just to piggyback off of the health insurance piece, we have a program that our employees can get into and compare different plans. They can look at different hospitals to see what the cost of different things are, different hospitals. So we um, try to educate them as much as possible. But we also, if someone's struggling, we will sit down and work with them and try to, you know, guide them and give them as much um, education as they can around finances. And obviously that spills over into the wealth management piece. So 401k um, education is very important to us as well. We have our wealth management people and our CFS group, which is our brokerage firm. Those people actually uh, get in front of all new hires on the day they start and talk to them. Um, so they know right out of the gate, they're here for them. They'll meet with them, do whatever. So. Yeah, financial education is huge for everyone, regardless of where you are in life and what you're doing. I just, I don't know if you two saw that recent article, their uh, employees actually demanded that over um, more PTO, which I found yes. fascinating. Um, so yes. some of these like stigmas, you know, and, and that mm -hmm. was something that I had uh, kept seeing, right? Um, a lot of times you weren't, uh, the education and communication was not getting down to that frontline worker. Mm -hmm. um, we all know why. I think uh, it's, it's money driven, compensation driven. They're not very, they're not viewed as well. They don't have a lot of disposable income. So therefore, I'm not going to spend a lot of time um, with those. And that's just something that obviously you and I mm -hmm. did totally disagree with, because those are the people that need that communication and education the most. Um, so just hearing you say that is, is really awesome. One mm -hmm. of the things that uh, you were talking about, though, um, you mentioned 33 years ago, Shimon Canal had a program that you could go to school and they would pay off your loans. We're now hearing more trends, right? Mm -hmm. We're hearing compensation. Banking, I saw, is buying talent is what they said right now. The banking industry <laughs> is just saying, we're, they're screwing it all. Compensation, we're throwing it all at the window. Um, and it's, a, it's, an, it's an arms race, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. So what are you doing differently? Because obviously being in a smaller town and a majority of your branches being in these smaller locations, how are you standing out um, when they're, when an employee or a prospective employee is comparing you to another employer? We're not standing out based on the money that we're offering them. I can tell you that. Um, uh, we sometimes have to talk to supervisors and say, no, um, first of all, if you offer someone something, you have to sustain that offer. Uh, and times aren't always going to be ups. There's going to be some downs in there. So you want to be careful about what you're actually offering. But um, we have been successful in recruiting from big banks uh, because they like our small town kind of family culture that we have here. So I think our culture is the biggest thing. It doesn't necessarily attract people unless it's employees reaching out to them mm -hmm. and referring them um, just to put an ad out on LinkedIn or something isn't going to attract them because they're not aware of our culture. So we have to just at least connect with them and get a chance to talk to them about our culture. So I think that's a big thing for us. I mean, we have great benefits here as well, but I think um, culture and opportunity for career development and advancement. We really try to advance from within. That's a big seller for us. Our tuition uh, reimbursement obviously is a big thing. So um, I would say those things, it's, it's not pay. We've never been 
um, a leader in the pay field. And yeah. we're pretty open about that, actually. That's it's yeah. cool that you guys understand, because I heard you say mental health earlier. We talked about financial mm-hmm. wellness. I mean, these, these are the fundamental pillars of employee wellness, both professionally and personally. And obviously, you're, you're kind of checking all five boxes um, and, mm-hmm. and realizing that it's not only compensation and compensation alone that, that attracts talent. Sure, it could buy you talent, but it's not going to be mm-hmm. the reason why they stay with the organization. How do you Correct. protect the culture? How do you, how do you, how do you I, mentioned the family culture and you mentioned that's why a lot of these corporate America, let's say, let's call it, we'll call it for what it is, bigger banks, bigger institutions, mm-hmm. and they want to kind of make that transition. Um, what, why, right? Like, how do you protect mm-hmm. that culture, that family-led culture? I, I don't feel that I need to protect it, I guess. Uh, I feel like our management team is all on the same page. Um, just to give you a little example, we recently had an employee pass away from covid Um, and it was just devastating. Obviously the employee was at work a few weeks ago. So we, um, went and met with the whole staff and just sent him home and said, just take time off, go, don't worry about us. And, um, they just were very appreciative that we were able to do that. I mean, the whole department, we just said, go, we'll figure it out. Um, but that's the kind of company we are. And I don't have to protect that because that comes from the top down. That's, that's just who we are. Um, and we brought in a counselor to talk to people and did all that. But I mean, that's who we are. Our CEO was contacting employees. How are you feeling? Are you doing okay? And he called me every day um, for that whole week to say, hey, how are the people doing? And I called them at home to make sure they were doing okay. So that's just who we are. There's, I don't have to protect that. That, that is who we are. And that's a successful culture when you're living it. That's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's powerful to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, and, and Pam, I think too, I mean, you can see it, you know, Kevin and I know just from being in Elmira for some time, you can see it on the consumer side too. I mean, you walk mm-hmm. in the door, you know, everybody knows your name, they know your family, they know, um, you know, kind of what's going on in your life and you, you automatically feel welcomed as soon as you walk in the door. So, you know, for that employer culture to bleed over to the mm-hmm. consumer side is, um, is rare, but, but it's incredible yes. what, what your team has been able to do over there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. And is that something that you've been looking at? Because that, I mean, that's what we're seeing a lot of, um, a lot of, I guess, trends, right? HR, we're talking about HR today. Um, mm-hmm. Trends is that they are trying to focus on the key critical life events of these employees. But just like Bobby pointed out, is the employee experience equals customer experience. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, I guess, how do you, are, is that something of focus for Shimon Canal? And is that intentional mm-hmm. for what you guys do? Yeah, it's very intentional. We have a program, we call it our Platinum Promise. Um, we have standards that we go by and we every new employee goes through that training the first month that they're hired. Um, we do it um, one Monday out of each month and make sure that they go through that and really set our expectations for how we serve our clients. Um, and we re- revamp the program a few times because we want people to stay engaged and build excitement around it. So it stays at the forefront of their minds. So uh, we're in the process actually of getting a committee together to do it again. We just did it a couple of years ago, Um, but you really need to keep it exciting for people or they just get complacent. So, um, but that's very important to us here is to um, keep serving the clients the way they want to be served. So yeah, that, that's a huge focus here for us. Just hearing that HR is even involved in those conversations, you, you know, that mm-hmm. you, you have a different style of leadership over there. Um, right. how, 
And you mentioned your managers, right? So typically Bobby and I, when we're having some conversations with HR practitioners and professionals, that's a pretty tumultuous relationship in some cases. Um, typically HR is viewed more as an adversary by some managers. Mm-hmm. They're telling them who they should look at, why, why they, like where they need to make improvements in their own leadership. And I've noticed that some HR practitioners are really struggling to have those difficult, challenging conversations with managers even if their man- that particular manager is a problem within their business. How are you handling those types of critical conversations with these managers? And how have you developed, I guess, that trust? I think you've you leaned on it on a little bit with the accountability being there available 24 seven, but how did you build that level of trust to really have these open and honest conversations with these managers that may have not been on board with that family-like culture before? Well, I think, uh, number one, I'm brutally honest. I don't know if that's a plus <laughs> or a minus, um, but I'm, I'm very honest and I'm always, I tell people I'm always going to do the right thing. So if I have to have a conversation with you, if there's an issue or something, I'm going to take it from the perspective of nobody's ever had this conversation with you before and you don't understand what is happening. So I want to like correct your path that you're on, I guess I would say. Um, and I think you can say anything to anyone. It's just how you say it. So if we're, if I'm coming into a meeting with a supervisor, for example, I'm not going to be confrontational or, or accusatory. I'm going to say, let's work on this together and see what we can do to, to make this better or to improve on the situation. So I think um, when you kind of take, I guess, a teamwork approach, like we're going that. to we're going to figure this out because ultimately I want everyone to be successful, mm-hmm. you know? So they, if as long as they understand that and that's what we're working towards, then we shouldn't have an issue. Yeah. That's great. Love that. Yeah, I do too. And I, I love the idea of, you know, kind of sitting down with somebody and, you know, starting from scratch, you know, you've probably mm-hmm. never had this conversation before. So let's, let's get into this. Right. Um, because so many times that that's exactly the case. I didn't know that I was, exuding this behavior. I didn't know that I was doing this and didn't know that I was doing that. Um, so just that awareness, let's talk about it first. And then, yeah, if you define that path, you know, or that goal to success and know that we're not pointing fingers or trying to get anybody in trouble, you know, makes the conversation much easier. Mm-hmm. So cool to hear. Definitely. So, you know, one of the things that, that we talked about, and I know Kevin mentioned it on the, on the, at the beginning of the show here is that we have folks kind of coming into HR for the first time. And, um, you know, you've, you've had the, excuse me, the privilege of kind of growing up in the HR world um, and seeing it sort of evolve over the years and and over time. What advice would you give to, you know, somebody who's, who's just breaking into HR today? Maybe they're, they're they're finishing up their schooling and they're, you know, coming into a company um, at an entry level role. Where's that white space um, that they can really kind of come in and make an impact right away? I think um, my, my number one goal is to have fun. So they should have fun. I think that's very important. Don't take yourself too seriously. We deal with a lot of serious things here, obviously, um, but don't make them too serious or too hard to deal with, I guess. you know, Have fun at work, continue to learn. Obviously, I talked about that. That's a big one. And educate others. And I think it's also important to be open-minded and not um, judgmental. Um, so I've had a lot of conversations as we talk more about diversity and inclusion at work, but I have a lot of um, conversations with people about being open-minded and not necessarily making quick decisions and judgments about things. 
um, more specifically mental health recently. I had a conversation with all of our branch managers actually, and just kind of said, you know, you might have an employee calling in with mental health issues, and then you get on their Facebook page, which you probably shouldn't do, and see them out dancing at a wedding, and you think, oh, they're they're not being truthful with me. That's not you can't make that assumption. You unless you have mental illness, which is no different than diabetes or heart disease or whatever. You can't judge them. You have to be, you you know, you have to be a good person and be understanding and try to help people as much as you can, I think. So it's, there's a lot to, there's a lot to HR, I guess I would say. There's a lot of hats worn. uh, And yes, and and it's going and staying, I guess, on this mental health, right? Um, Because you think about my grandparents' generation, Bobby, and and and, and probably you as well. And and mm-hmm. you think about what they they call used to call it like senile or like Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Like mental health has really yes. like only now been safe to really talk about. Mm-hmm. And, and Bobby's earlier point, the financials are finally safe to kind of talk about now. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it's safer than ever post-pandemic because our, our professional lives and our personal lives came careening? together and now mm-hmm. they're so inter- intertwined and tangled that we as employees and humans are really having a tough time separating that where, where work starts and where life starts? Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm the kind of person that I'm, I'll talk to anybody about anything. I'm pretty open and I'm pretty open-minded about things. Um, and I, I have a lot of these conversations as I said, but I also like to learn about people, especially people that are different than I am. So I like to ask questions um, because that's how I learn. So I've always been pretty open about things like that. And um, there aren't too many subjects that I won't talk about at work. I kind of warn people when they come into the department, if they're new in the department, um, just so you know, I'm very open and honest. I'll talk about any topic you want to talk about with you. Um, So yeah, the only thing that I think is very hard to talk about at work that I've found is politics because people feel so strongly and want you to believe what they believe. But um, we have a group here that's minorities that I'm the chief diversity officer. So I attend all those meetings and we're trying to include additional um, groups of people in there, not just based on race, but all different minorities. But um, we have really open conversations about a lot of things, but I ask a lot of questions from people and learn from them. So I kind of encourage people to be open-minded and learn what you can from other people and just, you know, enjoy life. <laughs> yeah. We've had other past guests, you know, and that, that's kind of a common theme. And honestly, why I got so interested in the field myself was I got obsessed with the question why, um, but we've had other past guests and say that it's the importance of, of good questioning, right. And asking good questions. Yes. Um, how, again, I hate to say this, but how do you coach people on your team? Because you're, you're only one person within the organization. How are you coaching them and what questions are you having them ask? Or how are you helping them come up with these types of questions to ask? Um, so you're really getting that information on a constant basis. I, um, I'm going to need you to repeat the question because of my speaker. <laughs> so I caught the beginning and I caught the end, but I didn't catch the question. So the, the, the question, the question specifically is how do you keep like, you're obviously uh, asking good questions and becoming obsessed with the word why um, was really why I got interested in the space. And it seems like you're the same, almost I'm talking to myself in the mirror right now where you're asked good questions because that's how you learn. That's the same way I learn is asking questions. I go in with no assumptions and ask 
And, and that I, how do you teach your team those skills? So then you're getting all the information and that worldly view within the organization. I think you have to teach them to convey um, why they're asking those questions. You can't just ask a question. Um, and we had this come up at our group meeting. We have a person who um, people assume is Mexican. So they ask her about tacos all the time. And it's like, well, if they just ask you if you eat tacos all the time, that can be offensive. But if they're asking you because they've seen you eat tacos in the lunchroom and they want to know how you make them because you smell so good, that's an entirely different question. So they the person kind of has to have a feeling of where you're coming from and that where you're coming from isn't um, a bad place. It's a good place. So I think it's important for people to really know where you're coming from. Um, and lots of times I'll say, I don't know. We have a, an employee who's from Pakistan. I don't know anything about Pakistan. And we've had some great conversations where he's talked to me about the food they eat, how they celebrate certain things. And it's, it's just been awesome. He'll send me pictures of his family and he's very excited because I ask him about, you know, where he's from. So I think you have to just let people know where you're coming from. And then you can pretty much ask any question you want. Um, so I love that. And that's, that's why we ask funny questions at the beginning of this podcast, you know, it's to get people's <laughs> yes. guards down. People come in nervous. <laughs> they're all excited. It's very emotional. And I just love like the other thing, that, the other trend that you're reading about right now is the personalization of HR, right? Down to the individual. Mm -hmm. This is something that you've been doing all along your entire career throughout the 33 years that you've been there. And it's just, it's hard to explain to, I think the audience, but you are so in tune. Like when you say, I know people, that's how mm -hmm. you know people. <laughs> it's it's mm -hmm. fascinating to really hear. Bobby, I don't know about you, but this is really, really cool to see like full circle, just how, how all everything comes together to really tell the story. Yeah. You know, you kind of took the words out of my mouth, Kevin, because I was going back to our, our resolution podcast at the beginning of the year. And I remember one of the resolutions that I read was, you know, to just take a more humanistic approach. And I think you're mm -hmm. seeing that Pam, in, in the work that you're doing. And I guess, you know, you, you've alluded to it, but I guess what, how, how do you kind of um, coach managers to take that same approach? Because I've been in positions where, you know, I think especially as Kevin had kind of mentioned where work and life kind of blends and we have these mental health conversations and these more difficult things going on in our lives. Um, you know, sometimes managers, people managers don't want to touch these things with a 10 foot pole. Mm -hmm. How do you, you know, kind of bleed over that humanistic approach with them to say, it's okay to have these conversations, you know, mm -hmm. let's get to know the employees and what's going on in their lives on a more personal basis so that we can, you know, kind of help them um, because mm -hmm. we know we spend the majority of our time in the workplace. So, you know, it's extremely important that they have those, those outlets to go to. Right. Uh, so one conversation I've had with managers is, we like to say we have an open door policy and anyone can stop in any time. And I've told them physically opening your door does not mean you're welcoming. So you need to understand that right up front, just physically opening your door, that's not it. You have to have your door physically open, but also encourage people to come in and talk to you about whatever they need to talk to you about. But the other thing is HR is available to have those tough conversations with you or for you if that needs to happen um, because some people just aren't comfortable, but you have to 
walk in in the morning and say hello. That's the first simplest thing that you should do in the morning. Walk in and say hello to the people that you work with. But as a supervisor, if they're out because their dog passed or they had to put their dog to sleep, ask them how they're doing. Ask them about their dog when they're ready to talk about their dog. You know, be human about it. It's It shouldn't be all work all the time while you're here. You have to be personal and you know what I mean and show an interest in them personally and they're going to work better for you if you do that um, and you're all going to be more successful if you do that so I think that's very important I, I love that and, and I think that's that's how you unlock engagement right and, and a more mm -hmm. engaged employee and you guys are limiting their stressors and distracting distractions um, as much mm -hmm. as possible. And that, and that's when you're, uh, as an employer, protecting their professional and personal well-being is limiting those stressors that they have in their life and those distractions that they're bringing with them because everybody's bringing mm -hmm. distractions with them to work. How do we limit yes. those as much as possible? Um, being human is just so, it's so cool to hear you say that. Mm -hmm. Pam, you, you've talked about almost the, 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 the word we've been flirting with is availability um, and time, right? Um, we talk, we kind of built the trust, we have the accountability, but the time component, and that's an area where Bobby and I see quite frequently with HR practitioners and professionals is that 80% of their time they is focused on administrative. Um, how do you limit those administrative distractions so you can focus more on the strategic and this personalized HR approach? So uh, I have a really good team that works with me here. Um, uh, they're very good. So they can function without me. Sometimes they don't think they can, but they really can. Um, so if I'm out somewhere, I'll always tell them, reach me by cell phone if I'm driving, because I'm not going to answer or I'm not going to text or whatever. But um, I always make myself available, but they don't need me. Um, so that that's a big thing is to build, build a good team um, that you know can do everything you can do without you here. Um, that's, that's just the biggest thing. And then if there's a time when you aren't available, you just aren't available. Like the CEO called me last night and I was babysitting my granddaughter and <laughs> I didn't respond. Um, but, but, you know, everyone has to have their time, um, outside of work and to themselves. So I think that you need to figure out how to make that time and manage that time. So, um, and I, I don't, I'm a night person. I don't mind working till midnight at night. But I also feel like if I do, I can go in at 10 in the morning too. I mean, I don't usually do that, but I do have that option if I want it because um, I'm very flexible also with my staff, which they appreciate. So I, I think you just have to manage your time and do what works for you and what works for the company. It's got to be a good balance. You sound like a workaholic like me, right? And, and I, think some, I think sometimes managers um, are workaholics themselves in some cases because mm -hmm. of that pressure. And this younger generation, certainly some are and some aren't, right? Some tell mm -hmm. you that I'm available yes. during this time to this time. How are you coaching mm -hmm. these managers with the younger generation? If they are have the same mentality as you, and you might have some younger folks on your team mm -hmm. there, how do you get yourself comfortable with that? Because um, I, know it's, I know it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. I think that you have to know what makes people tick and you have to adjust. So uh, I am going to have people that work for me only until 4.30 every day and then they're done. That's fine. As long as they get their work done and they do a good job, they don't have to have my time commitment. I just had a conversation with someone about that. My kids are out of the house 
So I don't have to worry about that. I told you I don't cook, so I don't have to make dinner. Um, so I am available, but I don't have to be. I just choose to be. Um, especially if someone emails me at 10 o'clock at night or sends me a text, oh my, I tested positive, I don't know what to do. If I can answer that text in two seconds and give them peace of mind, then why wouldn't I do that, you know? Um, so I make myself available, but I also kind of make my schedule as well. So if that makes sense. Yeah, certainly. But yeah, I probably am a workaholic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough, but it's, it, and that's why mm -hmm. I struggled so much during the pandemic to really find that balance. Right. When my mm -hmm. bed was in the same place as my office, that's when it was really hard for a workaholic. Um, yes. Like, Yes. Holy cow. I don't know when I'm on and when I'm off. And it seems like yeah. I'm always on. <laughs> exactly. So that, was, that was an it's, adjustment. It's easier to end your day when you're in an office, yeah, but when sure. you're working remotely, <laughs> you just keep going. Yeah. So yeah, that yes. was, a, that was certainly a lesson that I had to learn myself. My last question is just, you know, I think we touched on a little bit here, but I think in this, you know, remote work environment, we talked about, you know, we're kind of in this hybrid model now, right, Pam, and, and most organizations mm -hmm. are kind of realizing, you know, I think at one point of the pandemic, it was, oh, we'll be back next week, we'll be back next month, we'll yeah. be back in two months, and then we realized, like, that's not the case, and now this is kind of becoming a complete shift of, of a hybrid workforce. So, mm -hmm. you know, I guess, what are some ways that that you what are some things that you're doing at your organization to make sure that we're keeping you know employees connected in sort of this hybrid um, environment so one thing that we do here is we do an all-employee call once a month uh, so the management team we have an agenda and we go through um, a variety of things you know the finances of the bank what's happening in the bank maybe some customer success stories. Um, so we do that once a month and that's open to all employees of the company. They just dial in. Um, we also have um, a communication tool that we set up when COVID came about where we can text or video um, whenever we want to whoever we want. Um, and the texting is in instant. So that works out really well. Um, but I think just keeping the communication open, we've been very, um, direct with our supervisors that if people are not in the office, you still need to have meetings, one-on-one -on -one meetings, and operate as if nothing has changed. The communication has to continue. So we've made a uh, definite focus on communication and keeping people engaged, definitely, and checking in on people who are working remotely just to make sure they're still engaged and they're doing okay during this, um, during this unknown time that we're living in right now. So I think communication um, is very important and we, we just need to stay on top of that all the time. Yeah. Awesome. And, and, and a lot of that training that I think it, it, from hiring from within, you're keeping a lot of that intellectual and that, that, that mm -hmm. sense of culture within the organization. And that's something that I think that you guys learned earlier on. And a lot of businesses are really challenged right now to, to maintain that culture, but hearing that's probably how you've developed these managers over time is, is when you're only hiring and promoting from within or primarily, that's one of the best succession planning tools that I think I've ever heard mm -hmm. um, and, and, and hearing it play out because you've been with that institution now for mm -hmm. so long. It's, that's really what you, how you've built that family culture. Mm -hmm. it, it's impressive. Right. Um, one of the things, one the, of the last, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just want to mention one other thing we do. We do a monthly discussion groups um, and we do three a month because people can't make it at different times, but we let employees pick the topics and then we just talk about um, whatever the topic is. And I generally lead the discussions, but 
it's just very interesting we do that we just did one this month we're still doing it because we're still in the month but on diversity um so that was really interesting and we have open conversations i um come prepared in case people don't have a lot of questions or they're kind of uh, nervous about talking in front of people but um we do a different topic every month so that is also a good communication piece that anyone can attend if they want to so I, I love that's I mean, been similar with the town mm -hmm. hall series that I've seen some other yes. organizations. And mm -hmm. I think that just opens the lines of communication, but it also what it makes is the business vulnerable. Right. And I think that's yes. what, what people, a lot of people didn't like during the pandemic was these mandates mm -hmm. kept coming. These furloughs came and they really didn't have a say, or they weren't told why the decision was made. And I think when we mm -hmm. keep people in the dark, it makes people even more frustrated than even just coming out. Like you're, you're an open and honest person and brutally honest like just telling them like, Hey, it's a tough decision, but in order to keep mm -hmm. everybody's job within the organization, we have to cut a few people. Like, and I think that right. that would have done been less damaging to the brands mm -hmm. uh, that now these businesses are fighting so hard to rebuild. Um, as we're finishing up my last comment question that was, we always ask our, our guests is where are we headed? Now you might be retiring mm -hmm. in a few years yourself, but in your estimation and you being involved in HR and really seeing the evolution yourself of the role and the function of HR, where do you think it's headed? And where, and, and, and in your estimation, what would you tell people getting into the field, what they should be focused on? So just to clarify, I'm retiring in 15 months. 15 um, months. I was going to say, I was like, I'm sure it's very soon. Yes. <laughs> yes. Congratulations. Uh, uh, where is it headed? Um, it's headed in all different directions, I think. I think strategic planning has gotten, gotten huge from an HR perspective where back in the day, uh, HR wasn't even involved in strategic planning. Um, diversity and inclusion is huge. Um, the job market is crazy right now and it always changes, but it always changes. So you have to be able to change with it. Um, benefits, that's a huge thing right now when you're competing for talent. So it's a lot, it's a lot of things and it's all over the place. And hopefully we'll be out of COVID so we won't be talking about that piece of HR. Gosh, I hope so. I hope so. But mm -hmm. at the same time, when we got to look back at the silver linings and I was fortunate enough to not have any family members lost and not to make light mm -hmm. of those that did pass away, but it was a, it was a learning experience. I think for mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of workers, a lot of people, a lot of mm -hmm. individual and hitting that pause button sometimes without those distractions, it really forced people to look inward. Um, so it's, it's awesome. Awesome to hear. And this yes. was just a fascinating conversation with you. I can't, can't thank you enough, Pam, and all the things that Bobby and I got to see as kids going into the branches, getting the, the, <laughs> I still remember the suckers every single time I was even in the back seat. I'm like, how do they even see me back here? Um, but that's really, we still have those. <laughs> I'm sure you do. And my mom is still a, a customer at Shimon Canal, uh, as you guys know, but it's just awesome to really hear who was behind the curtain and really meet, mm -hmm. I think the wizard of Oz so yourself and really get a peek and really understand kind of it comes from leadership, but you still need to, to have um, the ear of the employees and be able to translate mm -hmm. back to the business. Um, and that's something that's obviously you're extremely effective at um, and something that HR practitioners need to get comfortable with. And you mm -hmm. are brave. You're, you, there's no, I can tell that there is nothing that's going to knock you off. Um, and it, I think that Bobby and I also talk about the bravery and courage and leadership that's required within HR because it's not easy. Mm -hmm. um, it's certainly right. not easy. So thank you so much, Pam, for, for sharing your insights with us today. I had a blast. I just wanted to say thank you so much. 
Thank you Thanks both. Thank you. Thank you.